So when the Lord started stirring this message on my heart, I asked him, I said, Lord, why do you want me to share about rebuilding broken walls on the story of Nehemiah? And I had my journal with me, and I just uh, sensed him say the following, and I just wrote it down. And so I felt the Lord say, I want my people to build again. There has been a breaking down. There are ruins. Some people are in great despair, and many aren't feeling safe. Just as Jerusalem is called City of Peace, and it bears my name, so have I ordained South Africa for my glory. Each person's life is of immense value to me. Amen. I am the Lord who restores, and I want my people to build again. It's not just the rebuilt walls that I'm looking for. It's all the inner work that takes place in people's lives when they build. The process, not just the end result, will restore their souls. Can you hear the heart of our Heavenly Father? His heart is for us to be restored. And what does this restoration look like, you may ask? Well, to answer that, we have to go to the very beginning of the Bible, and then we have to go to the very end of the Bible. Okay? So right at the beginning of the Bible, we read about the creation of heaven and earth, and we read about the Garden of Eden, and about Adam and Eve, and how they walked with God. That's what happened at the beginning. Adam and Eve walked with God, day after day after day, in an intimate, personal relationship with the living God. Bible says they walked with him in the cool of the day. They could see him and talk to him, hear his voice, experience his presence. And this has always been God's heart for us, is to have a relationship with you and I, to walk with us, to talk with us, to spend time with us. And then we go to the end of the Bible and we see how in Revelation 21, verse 3 to 5, uh, it's about the new heaven and the new earth. And once again, we read about God's heart to dwell with his people, to dwell with us. It says the following, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Isn't it beautiful? Beautiful. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is beautiful. You may be thinking, well, I can't wait for that day. Can't wait. Anyone else that says, I can't wait for that day. But the good news is that we don't have to wait until Christ returns before we can experience this type of restoration. We can experience restoration now. We can experience intimacy with the Father now and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. We can have a relationship with the living God. We can walk with Him throughout our day. Throughout the day, we can just be aware of God's presence. We can ask Him to lead us and guide us, to speak to us. Amen communing with God no matter what we are busy doing. We can enjoy his presence and we can hear his voice. We can even taste the fruit of his heavenly kingdom here and now. Many of the fruits of his kingdom, it's available to us now. In uh, 
Romans 14, verse 17, it says, The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, and if we look at uh, God's kingdom and his righteousness, his peace, and his joy, he doesn't want us to wait till he returns for us to walk in those things, but to taste them every single day of our lives. Now, there are many things that can result in broken down walls. For the Israelites in Nehemiah's day, it was sin. You see, they were God's people, and he was their God, and they were in a covenant relationship with him. But what happened was, over time, they started to develop uh, a desire for the things of the world. Uh, in the New Testament, it talks about the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. They even got into adultery uh, and they got into idolatry with the, the idols of the day and began to serve the gods of the other nations. And in doing that, they sinned against God because they were his covenant people. Now, God had warned them about the consequences of sin. And he still warns us today regarding the consequences of sin. You read the word, he's like, here's the narrow way, here's the narrow way. In the Old Testament, it talks about the highway of holiness, and he keeps on guiding us along the righteous paths as a good shepherd because he loves us. And so he warned them about the consequences of sin, but a day came where the Babylonians came in, they destroyed Jerusalem, they left it in ruins, and they carried the people off into captivity. There were only a few people that they left behind to work the land, they were called the remnant. But it's not just sin that can lead to broken down walls. It's anything that impacts our intimacy with God. Anything that, intimates, that impacts our intimacy with God. It can cause a breaking down of the walls. It can be busyness. It can be worry. It can be stress that can cause us to be distracted from what God is doing and of his presence. It can also be disappointment. I've noticed this often when ministering to people, how disappointment can impact um, uh, our walk with the Lord. Often when people have gone through something that has been a setback in their lives, maybe they've had a chronic illness or they've had a relationship that has broken down or they had a dream and then that dream just, just ended. Um, often in that disappointment, people will withdraw from God or they'll get really, really angry with God. During this last Catch the Fire, there was a lady who shared a testimony and uh, she told of a loved one, a relative who died, and how she had loved this relative so much, and that when this person died, she had got so angry with God. She had got so angry with God, and uh, she withdrew from God. And it was shortly after that, she said, I just fell, I just began to fall into sin. Sin after sin after sin after sin. And before she knew it, her life was, there were just ruins all around her. You know, but God is so gracious and He's so compassionate because she was here. She was at Catch the Fire. And week after week after week, she was receiving ministry and the Lord was restoring her, restoring her, restoring her. And she's just doing so much better now. So if you're sitting here or you're listening online and there are ruins around you, please know that God wants to help you to rebuild the walls. He wants to help you. Even for the Israelites, God didn't allow them to stay in captivity forever. It was just a matter of time before he called them back. He called them back to the promised land that he had given his people. 
The first group of exiles that returned was led by Zerubbabel. And uh, I'm always fascinated by some of the names in the Bible. So if there's any pregnant ladies here and you've got a little boy inside and you're looking for a name, <laughs> there's an option for you, Zerubbabel. And, uh, and Zerubbabel and the exiles that returned with him, their task was to rebuild the temple. And there's a lesson here for us. The first group of exiles, their goal was to rebuild the temple because the temple symbolized worship. A temple symbolized a place of intimacy with God, communing with God, meeting with God. And sometimes for us, when there are ruins around us, the very first place we need to start to rebuild is our relationship with the Lord. We need to draw close to Him. We need to get back into His Word. We need to come to church. We need to worship Him. We need to pray. Restore that communion with God. First place to start when we are rebuilding walls. The second group of exiles was led by Ezra the priest after Zerubbabel. Then another group came that was led by Ezra. And then the third group of exiles was led by Nehemiah. And their task was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So please turn with me to Nehemiah. Uh, we're going to be reading uh, from chapter 1. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Nehemiah chapter 1 from the New Living Translation. It starts this way. It says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. We're going to reflect on his prayer in point two. I'm going to take it point by point. So for now, I just want you to jump to verse 11, and then I'm going to read till chapter two, verse six. So right at the end of Nehemiah's prayer, he says, O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the cupbearer to the king. Now, it's beautiful. Here he was in a humble role, cupbearer to the king. And so I don't know where you work, where you live, what you do, but it doesn't matter how humble the work is or what it is, there is kingdom building for you to do. There's a kingdom calling upon your life. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? 
With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleased the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Beautiful, beautiful story. If you read the rest of Nehemiah, you just see how the Lord used him in the most incredible and miraculous way to rally the people of Israel and to restore the city of Jerusalem. So let's learn from Nehemiah on how to rebuild broken walls. Point one, moved to tears. Moved to tears. We read that Nehemiah sat down and wept when he heard that the walls of Jerusalem were still in ruin. Can you picture that for a moment? Can you picture Nehemiah weeping at the news? He wept, and after that he mourned and fasted and prayed for many days. When was the last time you really wept or cried about something broken in your life? Can you think about it? When was the last time that you really cried about something broken in the world around you? Being moved to tears is a healthy response when there is a broken down wall in our lives. You know, if you are struggling with a habitual sin or an addiction, being moved to tears is a very important step in the recovery process. We have to weep before the Lord. We have to cry out, Lord, I don't want this thing in my life. I'm desperate for you to help me. Lord, I hate what it's doing. I hate what it's doing. I'm crying out to you. We have to weep before the Lord. You know, if you've got a strained relationship with your spouse or maybe a strained relationship with some of your children or a child, we need to weep before the Lord. Sometimes we need to go home we need to lie down on our beds with that issue, that broken area, and we need to lie down on our beds, put our face in our pillows, and cry. We need to weep before God. We need to say, Lord, this thing is causing such great pain in my heart. What we are doing when we do that is we are expressing anguish, and sometimes I don't think there's enough anguish in the world. Anguish is when we just are moved with our own pain, or we moved with someone else's pain, and it moves us to tears. You know, sometimes we're not just weeping over our own uh, brokenness, but we, we need to weep over the brokenness of someone else that we love. And uh, sometimes people in our lives around us have got broken down walls. You know, if someone in your family is not saved, there's a broken down wall. Can you think of someone, a relative that doesn't know the Lord? We need to weep over relatives who don't know the Lord. We should be weeping before God. A child who is backslidden. Maybe you've got a friend who's considering going through a divorce. Things have gone really badly in their marriage and, and then you just get on your bed, you put your face in the pillow and you allow yourself to feel the pain of what they're going through and then you just weep for them, weep for them, weep for them and you just cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, ah, show me what to do. How can I support my friend? This past week, I ministered to a lady who was in need of healing, went to visit her, and has prayed for healing. But after that, um, we began to pray for her son who's struggling with depression. 
And this lady was almost convulsing as we prayed for her son. Oh, the grief, what she was holding regarding her son's pain was so real to her. Nehemiah was moved to tears. And because of this, he was moved to prayer. Sometimes in our own lives, we have broken down walls, but we don't pray earnestly enough for restoration because we haven't been moved to tears. Sometimes we hear about a person who is struggling and we just pray a brief prayer for them. But we don't pray a long, powerful, persistent prayer to the Lord because we haven't been moved to tears regarding their situation. Maybe we need to get to a point where we really move to tears on their behalf, where our hearts are broken. We can even use our country as an example. You know, it's easy to pray a cognitive prayer regarding the corruption in our country. To say, Lord, this corruption is not good. We're asking you to intervene. Lord, we pray that you'll touch people's hearts. We pray that there'll be some revival of righteousness. We pray that some uh, public servants, Lord God, will just choose to honor you, that we'll begin to see a change, that there'll be less corruption and more righteousness, and that our country will begin to build again. It's a cognitive prayer. It's a beautiful prayer and can still be heartfelt. But how would it be if we had to go home and lie on our bed with our head in our pillow and we weep over the corruption? We consider its effects on the people and we just begin to weep. And we take that to the Lord and then we begin to pray. And we pray and we pray and we fast and we intercede and we ask and we ask and we continue to press in and say, Lord, something has to change. Lord, we cry out to you. You know, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. We read about this in Luke chapter 19, verse 41 to 42. It says the following, it says, But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. This is the Lord. He gives us an example to follow. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. I mean, here Jesus is. He's the Prince of Peace. Coming into Jerusalem, the city of peace, to usher in his peace. And the people didn't receive him. They didn't see what was happening. And so he weeps and he says, but now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. He grieves at what they have lost. Do you know that even the Apostle Paul cried? And we don't read about him crying due to the hardships of ministry or due to the persecution that he received. We don't read that I received 40 lashes and I just cried and cried. No, we don't read that. We read about him weeping over the lost. That's what he cried about. In Philippians 3, verse 18 to 19, it says, here's Paul, he says, For as I have often told you before, and now I say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. And Paul considers these people and he weeps over them. You know, in our world, there are many people that fall into the same category. Can I read it again? People whose destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are on earthly things, not on the things of heaven. And when we consider people like that, we should weep. We say, Lord, please, please, reveal yourself to these people. 
Charles Spurgeon said, in order to be winners of souls, we must first be weepers of souls. Incredible, how can I say that again? Charles Spurgeon, he said, in order to be winners of souls, we must first be weepers of souls. You know, Paul also had great compassion for the believers in the churches that he had helped to plant in the different cities. And uh, so he also wept over them. So here we've read about how he wept over the lost, but he also wept, wept over the believers. Now, we know that in the Bible there's 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Both of them are letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. The first book of Corinthians, he writes to them to bring back righteous order into the church. Because what had happened was the city in which they dwelt was a very corrupt carnal city, and many of the practices of the world had begun to creep into the life of the church. And so he writes this letter, and he explains to them the way of the kingdom, and he calls them back to righteousness. Then in the second book of Corinthians, we read a little verse, and he's referring to the first book, and it talks about his tears. So he says in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 4, it says, For I wrote you, that's the first book of Corinthians, For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart, and with many tears. Not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. So even as he was writing a letter of correction, he was weeping over them. So before I go to point two, can I invite you to think about a broken wall in your life or in the life of someone that you love, and can I encourage you to go home today to get on your knees or to lie down on your bed with your head on your pillow face into your pillar, and to weep over the brokenness. Is it okay if I give you some homework? All right. Point number two, moved to prayer. Nehemiah's tears moved him to prayer. The Bible tells us that he fasted and prayed for many days. Do you know how many days that was? It was four months four months that he mourned and fasted and prayed for four months. Between chapter one and chapter two where he meets with the king is a four-month period. And so I'm going to go back to Nehemiah 1 verse 5 to 11 because I think it's valuable for us to gain some insights into his prayer life. Like what did he pray and what can we learn about prayer from Nehemiah? So if you've got your Bibles, please keep them open over the next little while, I'm going to just touch on a couple of the verses in Nehemiah's prayer. Verse number five. So he starts off with his prayer, and he says, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love, and those who love him and obey his commands. So Nehemiah starts off by acknowledging the greatness of and the love of God. Don't you think that's a good place to start off when we pray? Oh Lord, you're so great and where, and you're so loving. You see, when we do that, faith rises up in our hearts regarding that situation we're praying about because we're praying to a God who's incredibly great and who's full of love. Think about the broken wall that you're facing, that broken wall that you're gonna go pray about and weep about at home today. Now see that issue or that person or that situation in the context of God's greatness and love. Even now, just picture that same situation in the context of God's greatness and love. 
Can you sense faith rising up in you? That that wall can be rebuilt? Of course it can be rebuilt with God's help. Because he's great and he's got immense love towards us. Verse 6a, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. Listen to my prayer. Look down, see me praying night and day for your people Israel. Nehemiah asked God to listen to his prayer and he was like, Lord, look at me. Can you see what I'm doing? I'm praying and I'm fasting. Lord, I'm so desperate for you. Look at me. See my prayers. Look at my heart. I'm desperate for you to show me what to do. You know, for me, this might seem a bit strange, uh, or for you it might look a bit strange to think about him telling God to see him because we know that God can see everything. But what it, what it shows is his earnestness in his prayer. And sometimes when we are praying, we can do exactly the same thing. Lord, can you see how much I'm praying? In essence, we're saying, we're gonna keep on praying until we see something change. Bible says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous woman avails much. All right, that's verse six. Verse 6b and verse seven. He then says, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. So here in his prayer, Nehemiah asks the Lord for forgiveness. And he didn't just confess the sins of the people, but he repented of his own sins and the sins of his family. He took responsibility for the situation that Israel was in, and he didn't blame or make excuses or accuse. He repented. Sometimes when we are rebuilding broken walls, we need to allow the Lord to shine his light in our own lives, and then we need to say, but Lord, I was part of this. I caused that. Oh Lord, please, please, please forgive me. Shower me with your word, with your mercy. Wash me with your love. Extend your grace towards me. You have to cry out to the Lord and ask him for forgiveness. Verse eight and nine. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. I love this point because what he does is he reminds God of his promises to them. He says, Lord, I know we deserve to be where we are because we have sinned. But Lord, you said, you said that if we return to you, you said if we confess our sins, then you, Lord, will bring us back from all the corners of the earth and you'll bring us back to this place that you have given us and we will dwell with you again and we will be your people and you will be our God and we'll be restored. God, remember you said this. I'm just reminding you that you said this. You know, when we've got broken walls in our lives, we can also come to a point where we can remember the promises of God over us. The Bible is full of them. We can just begin to read and then we read the promises and say, but Lord, I'm sorry for what I did, but Lord, but Lord, but Lord. The Bible tells us that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So you go before the Lord and you ask him to forgive you. And then you say, Lord, you said that if I do this, you will cleanse me. You said, if I do this, Lord, you will restore me. You said, Lord, if I do this, I don't have to walk with guilt and shame forever. 
You will cleanse me from this unrighteousness. We can remind God of his promises. So important if we're parents here that we ask God for promises regarding our children from his word and by his spirit. And then when he gives us those promises, we write them down. And then at times in our children's lives, we just say, Lord, but you said, Lord, but you said, Lord, but you said, and we pray those promises over our families. Let's look at verse, uh, verse 10 to 11. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. So in this ending of the prayer, Nehemiah prays for favor and he prays for success. Our theme for the year as Choose Life Church is the favor of the Lord. And one of the keys to receive the favor of the Lord is to ask him for it. And here we see Nehemiah. He just says, Lord, I'm going to go to the king. And Lord, I pray that when I speak to him, you will give me favor and success. And he spoke to the king and he got far more favor than he even he imagined. The king did far more things to help him in this rebuilding project. You know, when we pray about something, we are acknowledging our dependence on the Lord, and that's the beauty of prayer. We're actually just acknowledging that we're dependent on God. We are saying to the Lord, I can't fix this in my own strength. I need you. Now, Zerubbabel, who had been tasked to rebuild the temple, when he returned with some exiles with that specific mission in mind, Zechariah the prophet went to him, and he said to him, Zerubbabel, hear the word of the Lord. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Zerubbabel, are you listening? You're not gonna be able to build this temple in your own strength. It's not by your might, it's not by your power. It's by the Lord's might, it's by the Lord's power that he will give you success. I heard a story the other day about a minister, it made me laugh, uh, years back, this is before, um, uh, there were big walls and electric fences. He would do door-to-door -door ministry with his congregation. So he would go in the suburbs and he would go to a church member's home and he would walk up to the door and ring the doorbell, ding dong. How many of you have still got a doorbell? Okay. And, uh, and then he said he got really good at uh, watching the curtains. Because <laughs> some people wouldn't respond. But he knew he can watch those curtains. And then just the slightest move says someone's inside. Then he would wait. <laughs> and he said some people just wouldn't come. And he would, he would eventually have to leave. Other people would open the door just a little bit and like speak to him. Oh, thanks for coming. Okay, thanks for that encouragement. Okay, bye. <laughs> and other people would open up their door wide open. They'd say, the house is a mess, but come in anyway. And he says he would come in and the house would be a mess but they would enjoy such a beautiful time of fellowship in the Lord. You know, sometimes when there's broken down walls in our lives, we know we can't fix them in our own strength. We know that we, like Zerubbabel, need the help of the Lord. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And all we need to do is to open up the doors of our lives and say, Lord, the house is a mess, but come in anyway. And when he does that, when Jesus comes in, we enjoy sweet fellowship with him. That 
presence of God is restored, that intimacy is restored, that sense of his love and kindness and mercy is there. We can hear his voice. We can enjoy his presence. But something else happens. He comes in with his power. And he comes in with his strategy. And he shows us what to do. He helps us. You know, with Nehemiah, that's exactly what happened to him. So we have just read how he fasted and prayed and mourned for many days, for four months. And uh, in chapter 2, verse 12, we read something really interesting. So Nehemiah returns back to Jerusalem, and one night, he goes out with a few people, and they go and they inspect the walls to see the extent of the damage. And this is what he says. I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. I had not told anyone about who put the plans in his heart. God. It's incredible, that little line. You see, when we wait on the Lord, when we weep, when we begin to pray, God speaks and we listen and he tells us what to do. He told Nehemiah, this is what you're going to do and he gave him his strategy on rebuilding the walls. The other night, I went to bed and I was praying about a situation and I went to sleep prayerful about it. And I woke up the next morning and that, that prayerfulness was still continuing uh, in my heart. And the next minute, the Lord just placed his answer into my spirit. Incredible when we pray. God loves to speak. He loves to show us what to do. And that leads me into point three, because when we pray about something, when we weep about something, and we pray about something, it's very, very likely that God is going to involve us in the rebuilding process. And point three is moved to action. So the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem is a miracle story. Anyone who has read Nehemiah a few times, you know that this is an absolute miracle story. The seemingly impossible task was completed in 52 days. Not even two months, that whole wall was built. It's a miracle. Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem he examines the damage to the wall. He shares God's plan, not his plan, God's plan with the leaders. He gains the support of the people. And then he does this incredible work at organizing a building project with great wisdom and great care. You know, each person was required to build that piece of wall in front of their home. It's so, there's such wisdom there. The, their home was precious to them. And so he said, listen, just build the wall in front of your home, protect your family. So everyone began to build that piece of wall in front of their home. People from all walks of life got involved. The priests got involved. There's a, a goldsmith that got involved. There was even someone who made perfume. It says a manufacturer of perfume got involved in rebuilding the wall. Uh, I find the Bible amazing because it's got all these little details and you're like, Lord, this is just rich. I mean, I mean, a perfume maker. And so I don't know, once again, what you do in your life and what your occupation is, but whatever your occupation is, there's a superior mandate, and it's to rebuild kingdom walls. It's to rebuild kingdom walls, even if you're a perfume maker. You know, the details are so wonderful because there's all their names that are also in this passage in Nehemiah, their names are listed. Everyone who built, their names are lifted, are, are, are mentioned. It's just so beautiful. Now, I'd like to end by saying 
that rebuilding broken walls takes perseverance. It really takes perseverance. Nehemiah and uh, the people faced great opposition. And when we rebuild kingdom walls, um, we are likely to face opposition from the enemy. The enemy doesn't like it when we build kingdom walls. See, the, the kingdom walls are about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those are kingdom walls. I'll give you another three. The kingdom walls are about faith, restoring faith to heart, and hope and love. Those are kingdom walls. Here's another two. The kingdom walls are about righteousness or about, sorry, about uh, grace and truth. Those are things that Jesus walked in, grace and truth. So righteousness, peace, joy, faith, hope, love, grace, truth. These are the bricks, the kingdom bricks that we build to erect uh, a kingdom wall. Now, the enemy doesn't like it because the walls, when they're broken down, then he can destroy the temple of worship. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And our hearts are where we worship him. And so when there's brokenness, when there's not righteousness, when there's not peace, when there's not joy, when there's no love and our faith is God and our hope is God and there's no grace and there's no truth happening, then he comes in and the next minute we don't want to spend time with the Lord. And the only one that's happy about that is the enemy. And the Lord is saying, I want to have intimate relationship with you. I want to know your presence. I want to speak to you. I want to have communion with you. That precious heart. You need to build kingdom walls to protect it. So there will be opposition when we rebuild broken walls. And sometimes that opposition comes from inside and sometimes that opposition comes from outside. So let's read Nehemiah 4, verse 6 to 12. Nehemiah 4, 6 to 12. At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people that worked with enthusiasm. It's amazing when we rebuild things. Sometimes we can get halfway and we can go, oh my goodness, I'm exhausted. But can you picture this wall around Jerusalem, half its height? It's quite incredible. And now the opposition started. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Can you see the, the opposition from inside? So even the people are like, ah, it's too much. Can you imagine being Nehemiah? He just had to stay focused on what God had called him to do and keep rallying the people. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. You see the opposition from outside. And then once again, the opposition from inside. The Jews who lived near the enemy, they came and told us again and again, they're going to come from all directions. They're going to attack us. As mentioned, rebuilding walls takes perseverance. And we need to keep on building. We need to keep on encouraging those around us to keep on building. We can't give up when the enemy threatens us or tells us that we are wasting our time, that there's no hope, and that the ruins around us are our future. No, we have to stand firm in 
our authority in Christ and hold on to what he has told us during our time of prayer. Remember when we've waited on him and we've fasted and we've prayed and God has told us what to do and the enemy starts bringing opposition, we just go, no, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to listen to it and I'm gonna keep on building. I'm gonna keep on building. Listen to what Nehemiah did in uh, chapter four, verse 13 and 14. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So they built with one hand, and they had a weapon in the other. And sometimes when we are busy with rebuilding work, kingdom rebuilding work, we build with one hand and we do spiritual warfare with the other at the same time. But the Israelites persevered and they finished the work. In Nehemiah, amen. Let's just give the Lord a hand. Yeah. In Nehemiah 6 verse 15 to 16 we read, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our Lord. Doesn't matter what that broken wall is, with the help of the Lord it can be rebuilt. So friends, in conclusion, we are living in a broken world, but the Lord is with us. And we can invite him into our lives, into our families, into our workplaces, and even into the midst of our brokenness. We may need to say, Lord, <laughs> the house is a mess, but you can come in anyway. And I believe that if we are moved to tears, if we are moved to prayer, and if we are moved to action, that with the help of the Lord, we will rebuild the broken walls. I wanna mention the walls again. Walls of righteousness, peace, and joy. Walls of faith, hope, and love, and walls of grace and truth. And in the safety of these walls, we can worship our Lord. Can I invite you to stand with me and uh, let's pray. And as you stand, <coughs> as you stand, uh, let's lift before the Lord any broken wall that needs to be rebuilt. In your heart, think about those broken walls. Loving Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, precious Holy Spirit, we honor you today and we recognize your greatness and your love for us. Lord, you can see every heart. You know what each one of us is weeping over. Thank you that we can pray and ask you to show us what to do. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us through your word. Speak to us through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, today we come before you with humble hearts and we confess our sins and we repent of anything that we have done that has contributed to the broken walls. Lord, we say we're sorry. We ask you to forgive us, Lord God. We pray for you to lavish mercy over us, Lord God, and to bring us back, bring us back to that place, Lord, that you've ordained for us to live in. Lord, we are willing to be part of the rebuilding process. 
Help us to build faithfully and with enthusiasm. Give us favor and success, Father. And may you be glorified with every kingdom wall that is rebuilt. We ask this in Jesus' name.